Welcome to LifeSci AI, the podcast series brought to you by Cypro and hosted by me, Nick Mahoney. This series looks to shine a light on the key developments of AI within the life science industry. Following on from the successful roundtable Cypro hosted in 2020, we aim to bring cross collaboration between common projects and to help promote the use of AI in life sciences. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome back to, unfortunately, the final episode of LifeSci AI, the podcast, for series one anyway. This is the ninth episode. Um, so if you wanna go back and listen to anything um, that uh, has been in the episode, it's been in the series so far, um, please go back on Spotify, go back on Anchor, go back on Apple Podcasts and on our website and, and dip into your favorite episode. Um, but for now, we are joined uh, by the founder of Optelum, um, Dr. Vlakav. How are you doing? Nice to, nice to have you on. Um, timely as well with, with what's been on the news with Optelum, right? Hi, Nick. It's, it's, it's great to uh, see you. No worries. Well, um, first off, whoever can't see, uh, if you're listening on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, um, Vaclav has an amazing background <laughs> at the moment. Do you want to just describe to anyone what your background is behind you first? Oh, uh, my background is actually uh, a chest computed tomography of my myself, <laughs> uh, which was a ordered uh, ordered uh, by a, a pulmonologist, a lung doctor, because of uh, asthma and to, just to exclude some potential severe things. And there's actually the, they're going to be uh, tonight, they're going to be uh, spend a lot of time talking about the earliest pre-symptomatic signs of lung cancer and some suspicious spots on the lung. And you can actually see in here, this little, mm -hmm. little bit is what we're going to be talking about. It's a lung nodule and I have like two or three of them. And um, you know, these are the kind of suspicious things in lungs which may or may, may not be lung cancer. Uh, most of them are harmless and mm. because I ran my own image through this AI software produced by our own company, I know that this is uh, with extremely high confidence, this is a nothing, so I can... I can <laughs> Very safely say. Well, well, explain to everyone uh, a little bit about Optelum and, and, and yourself if they are not familiar with you at this, at this moment in time. So... Uh, we are a, a small, rapidly growing startup company based in uh, Oxford in UK of around 30 people. And um, we founded the company with, um, with the goal of enabling every lung cancer patient to be diagnosed and treated at the earliest possible stage when the chances of cure are the highest. Unfortunately, I got a personal experience in this in this area. My aunt, uh, who has never smoked a single cigarette in her life, she was uh, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, and she died within six months. And a, uh, right now, lung cancer uh, is the deadliest. Uh, it kills more uh, people than any other cancer in the UK and a and a globally. And unfortunately, it is the cancer death sentence. Uh, only around 15% of uh, patients uh, diagnosed survive longer than five years. 
And the main reason for, for this abysmal statistics is that a, uh, patients, unlike with many other diseases and many other cancers, uh, other cancers may start causing problems when they're still in the early stage, when they're still localized and can be treated by surgery. Uh, lung cancer is so dangerous because uh, it's typically the symptoms only appear when it's too late, when the disease has you know, mm. spread and metastasized through the body. And the good news is that we do know that uh, for uh, if uh, patients with small stage 1A tumors, it means, you know, one, two centimeter lar lar large tumors, such as like this spot in my lung, yeah. if they are um, detected early and if they're treated in a minimally invasive way by thoracic surgeon or interventional pulmonologist, then the survival rate can be 90%, so going from 15 to 90%. And uh, there's only one way uh, these uh, tiny tumors can be, uh, can be uh, detected and di diagnosed, and that's through a chest computed tomography. That's through the, exactly the same type of scan you see on my background, where the black the black areas are actually the lung that shows the yeah. air and the, uh, the the white areas that's you know my ribs and 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 my chest and you may wonder you know not everybody not everybody has severe asthma like myself uh, so not mm. everybody just just happens to have these scans but actually actually there is a the biggest opportunity to intervene early in lung cancer is amongst the around 200,000 people in the UK every year and 2 million in the United States who have these little spots in the lung detected incidentally. That means in a scan acquired for other reasons. Actually for yeah. me, that's uh, with asthma, but there is the majority would be cardiac scans, heart scans, uh, heart scans, right. trauma scans after accidents. And in about one out of three of these scans, the, the doctors see these suspicious spots, but they cannot say. Uh, they cannot say is it a cancer or not and currently it takes them one to two years of follow-up investigations of repeated scans often three four scans where they're you know scanning the patient and see how it grows they often have to take multiple biopsies because these tiny lesions in a moving lung are so hard to to target with a biopsy often take PET scans with a huge dose of radiation and probably the most shocking stats for me is a in the United States nationwide, 30% of lung resection surgeries, that means when uh, with a suspicious nodule, they, they'll take your lung out or half of your lung out with tremendous risk and tremendous impact mm. on quality of your life, your ability to breathe. So one out of three are done completely unnecessarily on a benign condition. And there is a infection, wow. inflammation, and one third of these uh, very drastic surgeries are completely um, Unnecessary. And this whole process takes, you know, uh, patients jumping back and forth between procedures. It it takes, you know, over a year. And a quite often, uh, patients are completely lost to follow up because the process is so complex, and they just drop out. They just they just drop out. And a, unfortunately, if they do have cancer and then they only appear with symptoms, then um, it's too late to save them. It's, yeah. Gosh, that's. That's staggering, um, and you know, I, I had so many questions about where does this, how do you diagnose with lung cancer in the in the first instance? Because I don't know when I would go and get a CT scan. I don't know when someone in my family would get a CT scan if they haven't got um, chest problems or, or lung problems anyway. 
um, if even if it's for a health checkup. Um, so in terms of how you've explained it there, it's, it's, it's really well presented um, the, the problem, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and I, I'm just in a bit of a flummox as to how, how your AI model breaks down that problem. I don't know how much detail you can go into it um, or, or want to share and divulge your secrets, but there's so many questions about how, how can the AI close the gap that, that takes one or two years to, for a human being to do and biopsies and then one in three of the surgeries in the USA is benign anyway. So how do you how do you go around that? How do you, where do you start effectively? Yep. So uh, to solve the problem, we've developed a uh, an optimal platform. We call it Virtual Lung Nodule Clinic, which is the the first AI based clinical decision support platform for early lung cancer diagnosis. It's a it's the first time just. Around a month ago, uh, we're the first uh, such company and product in the world to achieve clearance by the FDA. Uh, to be Congratulations to- on that, though, by the way. We did mention that early on. But <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's quite significant. We are a yeah. world's first uh, company, and our product, it really does a two key things. Uh, it has two key parts. Uh, the first part is a... Uh, we are the, uh, producing a dashboard, a dashboard, uh, an automatically built list of all patients who have these uh, suspicious uh, nodules in the lungs, whether they appear in a cardiology, whether they appear in a, you know emergency department in scans after falls and accidents, or whether it's somebody with a different lung conditions like myself, or mm-hmm. liver conditions or anywhere where lung is visible. And we produce this dashboard by uh, having the computer having and using natural language processing to a automatically analyze all radiology reports across the health system, no matter in which department, you know, these scans are ordered. And then we uh, ensure that these patients are identified and enrolled, enrolled into the, into the system. And then the computer actually listens to all the new scans and procedures which are done. And uh, if, um, and closes, really closes the gap, closes the loop. If, for example, mm. this patient went to show up in three months or 12 months for another scan, and if the, the patient doesn't come, then the, the, in, the, in the dashboard, we really raise alarm for the nurse, the nurse navigator or administrator to help close the gap. And then when the patient, this way we ensure that everybody is systematically followed, and then to the doctors, the pulmonologist, that means the respiratory medicine specialist and the radiologist, we provide them with a through the same you know platform. We provide them with a, a, a what we call lung cancer prediction. It's an mm-hmm. AI-based digital biomarker which helps them make optimal decision, which really helps to make them more accurate, more uh, consistent, and um, it helps them make better decisions in terms for what to do next with the patient. Yeah. I, uh, is it the very highly likely to be a cancer and I should really recommend a, uh, a biopsy or even a surgery straight away or is it a very likely to be a harmless infection or inflammation and I should either discharge the patient or just order one scan in a year and so uh, 
And the, this, uh, this digital biomarker is based on a, a huge data set of around 100,000 scans where mm. we had the, the definite ground truths for these patients, like the result of the histological analysis of the lesion after it was resected by a, a surgeon. And we can um, predict the same uh, outcome or result uh, uh, much earlier in, in, in the patient pathway. Awesome. Okay, so um, there was one thing that you picked up when you're using NLP and you're um, getting a lot of patient data together. Was there a challenge with patient security, security of data of, of the patients and having access to that? Do you normalize the reports? How did that get put into the model? Yeah, so they, obviously we are working with uh, anonymized uh, anonymized uh, data. They're working with a number, probably you know, a couple of dozen hospitals around uh, around. So to develop and validate a system, we really had to gather data from dozens of hospitals around the world, because of the hugely heterogeneous nature of the patient populations. And that's important, probably far more important than say other diseases like breast cancer. It's important because lungs are exposed to the environment. So the infections and inflammations you're seeing in different parts of the world uh, are different. For example, in Midwest United States, they have a very special kind of uh, infections which may appear to be like a cancer on a CT scan, which do not um, appear elsewhere in the world. So we had to build a huge database and it was also necessary uh, by uh, and requested by the FDA to really show the validation that is robust to uh, you know dozens of different models of scanners from a dozens of hospitals and just very different types of patients. Okay, okay. So, um, is this something that is this something that was that was hard to put into the the model? Was that a challenge, or was there a bigger challenge that you that you found in in developing the the AI? Uh, I think the the uh, number one challenge was ultimately was the most important to be successful is the independent clinical validation is to really mm -hmm. have a robust system which is then a uh, validated by uh, by independent clinicians somebody who you know, is not conflicted is not an employee of the company and uh, that's important to be trusted by the medical community and we've been very lucky to work with some of the most uh, influential and respected doctors around the world such as a professor david baldwin uh, who's the chair of the clinical expert committee for the national health service so he's the oh, awesome. lung cancer boss in the, in the <laughs> and uh, this really helps us get the credibility that the ai is actually robust and it, and it works obviously before that, understanding the, the real customer needs, how to integrate yeah. it in, in the workflow that was important and how to build the data sets. That was also very, very important, um, especially we are dealing with these incidentally found nodules, which may appear in cardiology, it may appear in you know, liver scans, trauma scans. And so there's an incredible variety of data and it's often very hard to actually mm in the retrospective records to find the true diagnosis. What is it that happened with the patients? Because the patients may move somewhere else and be followed somewhere else or not be followed. They may 
die before the definite diagnosis is established so you will never know and mm -hmm. interesting so the 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 bit i always found a little bit um interesting when developing these ai companies is we have you have an idea right you you have an idea of problem incredibly smart people now you've got fda clearance you're a company of 30 you're still scaling you're in america now as well what are the challenges that you found in being a ceo of the company i mean i think the uh, the main challenge is in uh, you know in an early stage company it's uh, it's uh, everybody wears many hats and i think <laughs> is working i think our typical employee works you know three or five hats which is which is great because it's uh, yeah and the uh, our colleagues and, and our team they they can really assume much bigger responsibilities than you would get in a bigger company and really be exposed to a much broader variety of challenges and be able to learn much more quickly than in in, in large companies for a ceo the number of hats is even bigger that's probably <laughs> seven and i think the the key you know, challenge or was really important is to is to um, uh, hire find and hire people who are better than myself at the given things <laughs> fire myself as, as soon as possible from you know as many um, areas as possible and i've been very privileged to you know be working with people i've known for a long time and i could you know trust and you know i respect and admire them and we've been very lucky to to build a team with just a very high um, standards so did you did you always i mean obviously you had your horrible um personal experience with with your aunt and and um her passing away because of lung cancer did you did you always want to try and solve that problem um because previously you were involved with other um, spin-offs of University of Oxford and, and such as well. So I guess the question really is, is why Optelum in the first place? Well, that's an interesting question and I'll may answer in two ways. One is the link to lung cancer and the other one is a uh, why did we find Optelum when we did? Yeah. To answer the first one, actually my undergraduate thesis happened to be about lung cancer using a yeah. Uh, image analysis and machine learning in lung cancer uh, to improve a technique called PET, positron emission tomography. That's a type of very expensive scans used in hospital for staging of lung cancer. My PhD was around lung cancer. And I, think <laughs> the, the, um, I would say rather than any sort of uh, necessarily a profound um, search, you know, let's just find uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cancer, but it was when you were presented with an array of options, like possible topics for your undergraduate thesis and your PhD thesis. And uh, I think I naturally gravitated to the one which is, a, you know, an extremely deadly disease. So if you want to make mm. a dent in, 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 in oncology, frankly, when you look at diseases like breast cancer or prostate cancer, that's by now a chronic disease, you know maybe 90% of patients can just live for a very, very, very long time. And I think it's really the conditions like lung cancer, which is both very deadly and affects a lot of people and increasingly affecting people like my aunt, actually never smokers. In, mm. in places like China and India, it's half, half of the lung cancer patients today uh, have never smoked a cigarette. And that's because of all, of all the dirty contaminated air yeah. 
is not going away. That's why lung cancer. Now, why did we find uh, optellum when we did? I, um, I've always wanted to start a company. And during uh, my you know, studies at Oxford, I actually think in two different years, we were one year the winner first and the other one, I think second in the student uni university business idea competitions with different business ideas. But, uh, and it's great to out of 300, you know, teams of students at a place like Oxford to be the best, but yeah. then to turn it into reality, starting a company is very hard. And you always find something which is actually, you know, some problems with it, like intellectual property, actually, you know, that's, you know, cannot be protected or, you know, it's other patents and, and, um, you know, maybe and, and, and because it's so hard, you always find a reason why not to do it. And so I, you know, yeah. postponing, postponing, postponing. And then I was working in, um, you know, in a very innovative medical robotics company in Switzerland, a sort of a SME um, company in 150 people, just the global leader, still very innovative, but already having a global scale and, you know, very nice job. But then um, I, and I always kept postponing. I was being offered to join, you know, other teams as a, you know, co-founder, and I was just declined. And ultimately, long story short, the reason why, when I realized when I cannot postpone it anymore was I went to a mountain expedition in Central Asia, where my normal climbing partner couldn't make it because he didn't get a, a holiday from his job. And so I joined a, you know, semi-random group of. Um, group of uh, from uh, Russia and a uh, led by some you know very experienced uh, people but who were not necessarily very safety conscious and long story short after you know, telling uh, the people uh, a number of times that what we were doing is it was extremely dangerous and they just wouldn't listen but stuff, don't worry I've been here for 15 years and <laughs> uh, we ended up falling free falling 25 meter deep in the crevasse in a glacier and where the four people, everybody fell, uh, and a, the leader was dead uh, immediately, and you know other two people were badly injured, and I was the only one who luckily survived by miracle, just by luck, by falling on back expedition backpack in the, in the rest of the snow bridge which broke on the glacier, and I was there at the you know bottom of a crevasse, and I was just say. It's just not clear to me if and how I'm ever going to get out of here. But I said, if I do get out of here, I'm going to start a company because uh, life is too short. Life is too short to be postponing your dream because I should have been dead and I, the company would never happen. And so I was good lucky again uh, by, after surviving. It was also some adventures on people who, you know, help and um, able to rescue and rescue the injured people. And I, uh, but then when I uh, came back home, we rec I reconnected with my former PhD supervisors at Oxford and just said, look, yeah. Timor and Mike is starting a business, uh, starting a business uh, today. We cannot uh, postpone it. <laughs> Some of the ideas which were sort of on the back burner, uh, you know, yeah. uh, not, not actively pursued. And one of them is really which grew into Optimum. Wow. I, I was not expecting that, that answer. <laughs> so the decision to found Optimum literally, and I'm not making this up, the decision yeah. to film was made, you know, 5,200 meters high at the, in Central Asia uh, at the, you know, in the 25 meter deep in a glacier. So. Wow. <laughs> I guess then when you, when you get back and you're struggling with IP and what can be protected, you know, finding office space and all that kind of stuff, 
because I, you must have such a flame that's burning inside of you that that must motivate you to, to keep pushing boundaries to, to, to whatever challenge is put in front of you, I, I guess. You have that just core motivation. Uh, yes, it's uh, the motivation and I think just losing fear. You know, if you survive your own death by just by luck, with no special skill, uh, mm. I think you, you just, uh, the other challenges sound, uh, look actually very uh, solvable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah, like finding, finding an AI model to <laughs> cure early stage lung cancer diagnostics is quite simple when you're <laughs> in, in, that, in that position. Um, but when it, when it comes to your position now at, at Optelum, how, how hands-on are you at the moment? You said you've got seven hats on. <laughs> My lights have just turned off. <laughs> so um, but how hands-on are you at the, at the moment with Optelum? I mean, so, uh, so uh, well, we're not hands-on. We're hands-off, not least because uh, for about a year, we've actually managed the transition to COVID and remote working very well. Awesome. We had a you know um, a team was bonds uh, uh, very well together and has been working together for a long time and trust each mm. other. And so uh, we've been very actually we've handled the COVID work from home better than 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 yeah. we, could, uh, we could ever do. And I and I so um, I think the um, yeah so I think they're. Um, delegating responsibility and it's that's uh, uh, very easy with somebody mm. who's already been on the team before COVID. I think yeah. we've now, uh, I think we're quite lucky, uh, hired some great people we have never met in real life, uh, <laughs> yeah. virtually, uh, great colleagues in the United States, uh, two of them. Um, yeah. with, with these, we've been very lucky that, that it's working great, uh, but I think it, maybe not always that, that, that will work very mm. great. Yeah, no, for sure. It's interesting. The always the impact of COVID is, as we come out the other side of it. Um, you say you, you've hired some great people in America that you've never met, and maybe the, the hiring was more stringent. I don't know what it was with you um, because it was virtual, so you were double checking and, and triple checking uh, to make sure you got the right guys out there in America. Um, but one thing I'd be keen to know is because at the start of the the episode you put out a lot of facts about, um, or stats, about the need for early um, diagnostics, diagnoses for, um, for lung cancer and the difference between um, someone who has, has it before five years of, of knowing about it or someone in stage four and the survival rates. Do, do you have any um, stats or facts about the impact of Optelum? within this and how that has changed and adapted? I don't know if that's come through from your research as of yet. Yeah, yeah. so the impact, I think the, uh, I'm gonna highlight the, uh, uh, especially the results of our clinical studies, especially the study underpinning the FDA clearance. And we just, a, uh, you know, secured a clearance a couple of weeks <laughs> ago. And right now the first customers, they're just a good, authorization from their hospital IT to actually, you know, connect to our cloud and send us the images. So uh, we will soon be talking about real patient success stories, but what I can share uh, now is the results observed in clinical studies. Hmm. And that was a, um, uh, 
we've been able to show or the clinicians we recognize have, have been able to show that a the uh, the doctors who have access to the AI system, they become significantly better at differentiated be between a cancerous nodule and a virus mm. benign nodule. All of them have a improved, regardless their level of experience, whether you're a junior consultant with wow. two years experience or a world leading thoracic oncology expert with 20 years of, years of experience, everybody became better and everybody became more consistent with each other. So mm -hmm. as a, that's important because as a patient, you always want to receive the predictably high standard of care. You don't yeah. want to be the mercy that if you're appear in emergency room on a Saturday evening when your, your scans are interpreted by some generalists, maybe some abdominal experts who does not understand lung, you don't want to be in a situation where you're at the mercy of you know who, whoever looks at your, yeah. your data, and uh, finally uh, the doctors also uh, made better, more optimal clinical decisions. For example, for 22% of the patients with cancer, they correctly recommended more aggressive actions, like actually push forward with the biopsy sooner than they would mm -hmm. otherwise done. And a nine out of 10 of the doctors who participated in these clinical studies also reported that they were much more confident, much more confident in their decision-making with the help of the AI. Oh, brilliant. So you, you've got some great clinical studies um, come through already and excited to see, like you said, the first customers are getting authorization to use it on the IT system. So excited to see what comes back um, from there. But what, what I'm still really intrigued by is how how does the AI classify between benign and non-benign? Yeah, so as you see, uh, so this is a, uh, this little blob is a small nodule in my lung. I have three, two others are elsewhere. And a, well, the AI does, so one important thing, we are not reproducing a subjective opinion of a radiologist or a pharmacologist. We are basing the classification based on the ground truth, such as the result of a histological analysis. So when they put, resect such a lesion, put it under microscope and really see what it was, was it cancer or not. And the computer will look, uh, when you feed the neural network with, you know, 100,000 such scans, then it really looks at the, uh, the patterns, the full patterns of pixels uh, inside the lesion and outside, you know, in the tissue and the vessels, which, which, which leads to it. And uh, it, uh, it can uh, really form the prediction based on the, on a number of factors where yeah. you don't tell it what these factors are, but the, the neural network learns it from, from, from the data. Wow. I'm still blown away by it. <laughs> and I think, I think I will be for, for some time. Um, Just think, think about it. I think a highly experienced, highly experienced, you know, thoracic experts, uh, thoracic radiologists, interventional pharmacologists, they can make a similar assessment just with their eyes. And you can think yeah. about it that uh, what Optelum is doing is like, you know, having your personal advisory board of, you know, 10 best radiologists and pharmacologists in the world for yeah. any doctors on the planet in any hospital, really uh, advising you on how to make better decisions awesome that's, fa that's fascinating and do, could this could this go into uh developing countries and, and countries with 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 weaker 
um, healthcare infrastructure long term, do you think? Long term, definitely, you will actually see see some of the developing countries modernizing very rapidly, and so yeah. uh, adopting you know the new models of scanners and electronic patients record. And they often have shortages of physicians, so they have even stronger mm. incentives, like not to be wasting you know the scans and biopsies on patients who don't need it. Yeah. And so uh, that's. Uh, you know, definitely the case in, uh, especially in Asian countries, because uh, the, the, that's where lung cancer is. Lung cancer is yeah. a huge problem in the UK, but the uh, in, in Asia there is a true pandemic because of the uh, air pollution and the you know um, often unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah, no, it seems like um, you've got a lot of problems to keep solving um, on it, and you know it's just just thankful that you. I know, say thank you if we had the motivation because it's a horrible situation you're put in uh, when you when you travel to Asia in that situation. But um, out of it has become optellum, and I'm super excited to see where you guys go post FDA um, as as the world's first and, and trailblazing um, through. And I know you've got some big plans for <laughs> for the next 24 months, 36 months. Um, so. I think there'll be a lot of people excited to see to see the impact that you guys make for sure. Yeah, I think for us, it's uh, you know we see Optelum as a lung health company, as a lung health company where early diagnosis of lung cancer is is just the first step. But really, our, our goal with Optelum is to enable every patient with a deadly lung disease to be diagnosed and treated as early as possible and be cured. And so we're starting to look into a, a lung cancer treatment, helping doctors uh, make optimal decisions for treatment of patients with lung early stage lung cancer, as well as a expanding the same capability of coordinating care and uh, predicting uh, predicting you know outcomes and diagnosis from imaging and other data into other deadly diseases of the lungs, such as interstitial lung disease, COPD, fibrosis. Oh, wow. So you'll be, you position yourselves as pretty much the lung care specialists yeah. um, within the marketplace. Amazing, the amazing. AI company. Yeah, yeah the, the lung AI company. Love it, love it. Um, well, that was absolutely fascinating. And, and thank you, thank you very much for, for joining me. Your energy is infectious, <laughs> um, to be honest. And I, I'm so excited to see, see where, where you go, like I said, in, in, the, in the near future and, and long term as, as well and the impact you make on people thank you very much for your time thanks a lot for the uh, for the interview bye no worries and this this ends unfortunately um series one of, of lifestyle ar the podcast series um so i want to thank everybody who has, who's joined me um all the way through the guests and uh, everyone who's listened and, and watched um i guess we'll be back very soon uh for series two uh, sometime soon i imagine um but for now enjoy the rest of the, well enjoy the, the previous episodes on your favorite uh, stream service and on our website and uh, i'm sure we'll be back very very soon thank you thank you that finishes this episode for lifesite ai the podcast series i hope you got as much enjoyment out of that as i did join myself again in a couple of weeks where i'll be shining yet another light on a new area of ai within life sciences in the meantime Follow Cypro on social media to hear about the latest updates on the series, but also on the roundtables and other work we do day to day. Please also like, 
share, tell a friend and comment on this podcast so that we can all promote the use of AI in life sciences together. Thanks for listening.